Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, DFlash. Each episode, I bring a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And this episode means the world to me because I finally get to interview my mentor, Chris Royer, who's the president of Consulting by CRC, an original Halsonet. And the reason why I'm such a badass businesswoman is because of this awesome woman. So I am super psyched to finally have her on the podcast. And so we're going to have a great conversation, you know, hear her phenomenal story and so much more. Uh, Take a listen. Hi, Chris. Hey, Laura. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I know. It's taking a a little while. I'm great. I'm so psyched to have you on the show. Wonderful. Wonderful. So the way this always works is I always ask the same first question. And I think I know this answer, but I'm going to pretend like I don't. But Chris, what was your first job? My very first job was when I was in uh, school. Uh, I was in design school at uh, Pratt. And I actually uh, was uh, employed by a company called De Beers Mines. It's the largest diamond company in the world. And they had wanted me to model as well as to style and to design uh, jewelry for a contemporary young audience that would love diamonds. So <laughs> it, it was perfect for me. Of diamonds, course. of course, you know, especially with De Beers. Uh, De Beers was the top, top of uh, the whole uh, diamond com- company world, you might say. Um, now, my second job was... Uh, Working with Halston. Uh, oh, we'll get to that. Oh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that one. <laughs> yes. So I love how you started with diamonds and then, oh, yeah. And by the way, I went to work for Halston. So um, right. I know this story um, by heart, backwards, forwards, and sideways. Yes. But I would love for you to tell the story of how you ended up becoming a Halstonette because there's been so right. much chatter about Halston recently with the amazing Netflix um, series um, starring Yuri McGregor. Uh, and, you know, the stories of the Halston Nets are just so rich and so unique. And like I said, I've known them for, I've known a story for about 20 years. You sure um, do. But, <laughs> but there's so many folks who don't. So I would love for you to start at the beginning. And like, how did you even meet Halston? I met Halston. Actually, I had gone to uh, London uh, and I did uh, a small amount of modeling there and uh, with Models One, which was the boutique and the elitist uh, uh, model agency there, merely because I was visiting them and they promptly sent me out for jobs. So I was like, oh, great, money. You know, so uh, when I came back uh, to the United States, I was uh, with Wilhelmina Agency uh, because my original uh project, or I should say the first first modeling job I had, was really, uh, I was discovered by Mademoiselle magazine. And Mademoiselle was sort of like uh, the young, trendy uh, magazine for young women in, in America. And uh, they had featured me as Chris, Chris Royer has style. That was the headline. And there was a series of four pages describing uh, that I go to Pratt Institute and that I'm in design and, you know, I'm featured in as a talent with Mademoiselle. Uh, What happened was that uh, Boston had seen the layout and 
by chance, I had just come back from London and Wilhelmina said, uh, okay, Halston wants to see you. I think you're, you, the two of you are going to be a perfect match because this, he, you are exactly what he's looking for. So I went up to 68th Street and Madison Avenue. Now at that time, as you well know, Laura, uh, the designers were really not featured. Uh, the company, let's say Bill Blass, uh, when he was uh, in that position, he was originally with a company called Maurice Retner, and then they never knew that it was Bill Blass. Bill Blass, during that time period, ended up becoming Bill Blass. Now, that's the same thing with Halston. Halston uh, became Halston Limited at that point, and that was the beginning company of his clothing uh, prior to that, he was Halston at Bergdorf Goodman because he did millinery, fabulous hats for Jackie Kennedy and for numerous celebrities. But with Halston Limited located on 68th and Madison, that was his clothing. So when uh, I got up to 68th Street, I went into this elevator, which opened up to this incredible third floor salon. It was considered the made to order salon where all the uh, socialites and celebrities would come. Um, <laughs> exactly. And uh, to begin with, the, the, the salon was all painted like this incredible creamy white or cream ivory, I should say. And it just glowed. Uh, there were uh, ficus trees and there was uh, creamy ivory ultra suede couches. The floors were done in a bleached uh Sort of they bleached the floor so they looked like marble. Uh, the music was samba music and it was very sexy and very sensual. And there were Rigo candles all over the place, Cypress, which was a very famous uh, type of scent, which Jackie Kennedy used uh, in her uh, White House uh, when she was living at the White House. But it's a beautiful fragrance. So as soon as you went in there, you fell into this amazing zone of luxury. Mm -hmm. So when I walked in, I saw this gorgeous man in a black turtleneck and black pants sitting on the couch. So I said, well, I'm Chris Royer. And he proceeded to say, we know. And I'm going, we do? And he goes, yes. Now, let's sit down and let's talk. You just came back from London. Let's talk about the fashions and let's talk about, you know, the modeling and everything. And he was fabulous. We looked through all the clothes. We looked at the designs. The, the, the pieces, the designs fit me perfectly. And uh, so we were talking and talking. And after a point, I thought, I assumed he was the assistant, so I thought I'd be meeting Halston fairly soon. So uh, I said to him, I said, well, eventually I'll be meeting Halston because I, I gather I got the job. And he goes, mm-hmm. And so I said, I would like to ask some questions. And he said, okay. And I said, well, how old is Halston? And he's like, um, old enough. And he said, why? I said, well, you know, I'm just, you know, coming into this and it's like, you know, I love to do the modeling, but I also have a design background. I'd love to be involved in the design staff, the creative staff 
with with you know Halston if that's possible. Uh, do you think he he would object to that? And he said, "No, that's doable." So I thought, "Great, this is wonderful." And so I said, "Well, uh, I said, does he have a sense of humor?" And he said, uh, "Yeah." Yeah, he has a sense of humor. I said, so if I decide to go more into the designing, would he object? He goes, oh, yeah, that's doable. So the, 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 the next question I said to him, I said, I have another question. He goes, yes. Do you think since we all get together and do so well and we get along so well, do you think possibly you could tell him that you and I can work together? So he smiled and he said, yes. Yes. Now, right after that, one of the assistants came in and said, Halston, Jackie O is here for her fitting. So I looked around and I thought, well, maybe the designer was really behind the screen or watching or listening to us. And I turn around and there he is on the couch laughing hysterically and like almost falling down on the floor with laughter. And I said, you lied to me. And he goes, no. <laughs> I interviewed you and you got both jobs and that's how we started. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so he, he, he was constantly uh, having different uh, sort of uh, moments. Let's put it this way of how, how we could do some fun things in between the fittings and the constant busy schedule of the, the designing, the, the press you know, the marketing and everything else. So it was a, it was a fabulous time. Awesome. Um, I love that story. Because <laughs> uh, it's like fresh out of a movie. Um, well, well, it, it also, what it does is it doesn't hurt to, to make sure that to speak to the right, if you have good gut feelings, speak to that person. Exactly. I mean, I mean, there's so many, so many lessons I learned from you um, that I've used throughout my career. And that one of those is like, like talk to everybody because you never know who's who's who. Right. Uh, if they, if they feel the like they're a good one. <laughs> exactly. You talk to them to the right dude. So, you know, it's, you know, what's always been so fascinating to me, you know, throughout the years that we've known each other is that like, you know, you had this amazing bird's eye view into the brand that is Halston, Halston himself, but also the business of fashion, which I think is so rare. And it would be great to talk for you to share some of those like kind of really iconic moments you know, where you, you know, where it wasn't just about the clothing and the parties, but it was about the design and construction. Like you talk to me about the time that you guys came up with the idea for the sarong and like how that came to be. Yeah, the sarong is considered one of his iconic uh, designs. Lee Radswell and numerous other uh, celebrities, uh, Marissa Berenson and uh, Babe Paley's, uh, Amanda Burden wore it, and uh, who else? Uh, Barbara Walters, uh, became, they all wore it. It was considered the it dress. Uh, what it was, was the way that Halston used to design he was very inspired by things that were day to day. Uh, when we, when the sarong was created, we were actually on vacation on Fire Island, and we were in this beautiful house that had uh, almost a Japanese uh, one floor look, and it had sliding doors that opened onto the terrace and the pool, but it they were mirrored. 
And Halston would like to, during his leisure time, just sit back, relax, have a glass of water, and he'd have his pen and his drawing pad and be constantly drawing and writing down ideas and everything else. I uh, had gone into the pool and came out of the pool and sort of grabbed one of those big field crest uh, bath towels. And he was watching me, and he said, no, wait a minute. And he pulled me to the... Uh, the door, which is mirrored, and he tied the actual bath towel in a certain way from the back to the front, and the way he tied it and draped it, he created sort of like two little bunny ears to hold it in place. We looked in the mirror, and we saw a dress, and we we're like going, oh my god, silk chamoose. <laughs> well, we thought it was silk chamoose because we're in the creative stage. When we came back to New York, and showed it to the workroom, that's when the real work started because we had to take a four-ply con towel concept and make it into a dress. Now, the actual dress became iconic in the way the pattern was done It was because it was cut on the bias, and it was uh, something that was a spiral cut, uh, which was very unique at that time because it gave the woman flexibility and a sensual look but he also did what is called a built-in bra uh, in the top so that the little ties that you would see on the dress uh, were easy to open and close, but the bra underneath it, which you did not see because of the, the gathering, uh, was the thing that held it together, but it also lifted the woman's bust up and it gave her a very fabulous looking figure. So the, the concept was one thing, and then the reality of it, you know, uh, was iconic in both sides. Awesome. And, you know, it's interesting because it's it's like he knew how to design for a woman in the real world, even though it's like a lot of stuff was super expensive. Making this luxury accessible for all women was a big thing for him. Yes, he always felt he was very in one way avant-garde and revolutionary in taking the designs and uh, perhaps making it more uh, clean lined because he felt that the woman that wears it, if she's comfortable in it, she'll even look better looking because she'll feel better about herself and she knows that she uh, conveys that relaxed, beautiful look about her. So he was very concerned making sure that the cloth, the fabrics were all very soft, sensual, and the colors really worked with the ladies complexion all ladies uh he also made sure that he was one of the first at that point to create what is called underneath pajamas they were called evening pajamas or day looks uh elastic in the pants so that if you gained or lost a little weight you were still comfortable which was unheard of most <laughs> During that time, really? yes, during that time, it was fitted pants with, you know, the zipper and the hooks and the eyes, which is great if you're always the same size, but most women are not. They fluctuate. So the uh, the idea of putting elastic and then covering it over with a beautiful blouse and then an OB belt gave it gave the look uh, uh, an amazing sort of luxurious uh, style to to that to anyone. And clearly foreshadowing because now everyone's in, you know, 
leisure wear because we're all home and everyone's wearing jogger pants and cashmere pants and joggers at home. So like way ahead of his time in terms of making women feel good, but still cute um, in comfortable clothing. Well, we made we made the Women's Wear Daily cover because Halston was the first to do really cashmere hoodies. He <laughs> took the concept of doing uh, what is called a more casual look because when Elsa Peretti and myself used to come in for fittings during the day, it used to be very, very cold in there. So you didn't sweat. You had to keep everything looking very fresh. So we either had uh, dress kimonos to wear in between fittings but when we first came in uh, during the day, we would wear sweatshirts and sweatpants and things like that and, uh, and the hoodies. And Halston go, here I have two big fancy models here. And what are they wearing? Sweat gear. So he but, and Elsa would go, but Halston, it's so comfortable. So the idea got into his head, taking something every day. Well, let's make it different. So he took the concept of leisure wear, did the right cut and the right fabric in cashmere. And that's what became the made-to-order, must-have cashmere line uh, for Halston. And everybody wore it. Everybody. <laughs> it's like, you know, he, he also did uh, wonderful uh, tops and bottoms. And he also did uh, the cashmere dresses with the matching uh, cardigans which he tied it in a certain way. It gave it a different appeal. So it really made, you know, a cashmere set much, much more modern and much more usable. And of course the, the ultimate was the zip cardigan or the uh, hoodie, which was fabulous. Which and the poncho. We can't forget the poncho. Forget the poncho. I was going to say like, you have to have right? the poncho. <laughs> the iconic poncho that everybody wore. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that's really fascinating. And like, you know, for me, it has always been so fascinating that like, not only was he way ahead of his time, but like every single thing he made, I could wear today, you know, exactly. 35, 40 years later, um, because it's all about the fit. So like when you were working as, you know, you know, part design, part model, like what was that like sort of figuring out how to get that fit right for the woman? That's a great question. Uh, Part of being in understanding when he would drape, he would drape uh, a lot of the things he would drape in uh, certain fabrics uh, for coats and things he would drape in muslin. Uh, he would also drape in jerseys and things to, to get to feel to get the right shape before it was cut into the final fabric. Sometimes he did cut in the, in the final fabric, but uh, he needed to do that. And he needed someone like myself who understood his draping and his cutting, but could also relate it to him in a design where this feels better. I can't move this way. Uh, when I sit down, the front goes down too far. We have to pull it up or we have to adjust it. So it was invaluable for me to think both sides, not only the modeling side, but also knowing what he was designing and how the cut and the drape really had to be done in a very specific way. And it did take time. Uh, the more that you see Halston's clothing, they look very uh, clean lined. Uh, there's very few buttons. Uh, there's very few uh, other sort of like uh, zippers and things. Uh, and it's, it's an easy way of putting on and taking off. But there's a way of how to tie it and how to drape it. And these things do become timeless because the patterns are so 
well thought out and it would take hours and days to perfect these things. Wow. Yeah. Oh, there's, oh, there's so much. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I'll ask one more question before I go back to you. So you all went on a really, un- well, a couple of really unique trips. And obviously I know this story because I've known you for 20 years. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. But you all went to China yeah. uh, at a time when it was not like a thing designers did. And I'd love for you to, you know, kind of give like a little bit of a short version of it because it's 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 an amazing in-depth story. But like give him a little bit of tease about like what that was like. It was 1980, and it was prior to that. In 1979, Halson was approached uh, by uh, a Japanese uh, group that uh, they wanted. They were looking for a designer that could come to China. They were opening the gates to the world to identify that they are the ones that could produce clothing and their facilities are open to all companies from all countries around the world. They chose Halston and they went up and they had a meeting with Halston to see if he would be open to come bring his designs and to show, you know, what he was about in America. And then also that the Chinese would also show, uh, you know, their facilities for possible manufacturing. So what Halston did, Halston also was an incredible marketing genius. He could visualize things in a way well, well in advance, and he could see things and how they could all be put together, but how they had to be very well organized and thought out. And he really did a magnificent job on this trip. Uh, We had a master licensee in uh, Japan, and we were at that point doing uh, a launch on uh, women's Halston uh, clothing for the Japanese woman, and that was scale to the Japanese uh, woman's uh, body. And we were also uh, launching at that point the beautiful bottles that Elsa Peretti made for Halston uh, for both men and women. So we were going to do uh, a launch in Japan. So he combined the trips and we did uh, a fabulous trip in Japan, fashion shows. And they did this amazing set in Japan, 20 foot high uh, mirrors and things on the stage to show the glorious collections of Boston. And then also to promote and launch the fragrance as well as the women's clothing. Then from Japan, we moved to China. We flew over and uh, we were received by the uh, government. We stayed in what was called the compound, which was approximately 40, 40 years old. It was very, you almost thought that very gothic, like Batman and uh, was going to come uh in because when you went to the airport, it was all like Gotham City. Nothing was changed at that point because it was brand new. The people all were dressed in Mao outfits and both men and women, same looks. Uh, the women had at that point just developed uh, the knowledge of how to do perm tear and they all were on bicycles and they wore mirrored sunglasses. So it was a very different, you know. Than, than Japan, t- t- to be honest with you. <laughs> Very different. We did the show there, uh, and it was done in a, uh, a very old theater. 
and the press and everybody were very quiet and conservative because they didn't really, they weren't exuberant like the Americans. And uh, after the show, uh, some of the pieces were very sheer because the embroidery, which uh, Naim Khan did uh, for Halston, had uh, it was placed carefully so you could it revealed the body, but it didn't reveal any anything private, you might say. When we had a, a discussion after the show, uh, all the models and Halston sat down with the uh, the a actual the manufacturing people as well as the press people uh, from China, and um, we ended up actually giving them things to touch, feel, and to try on, and it became an incredible, just amazing sort of like. Uh, situation where it was like from very quiet and low-keyed to this joyous you know meeting of everybody looking and feeling touching and and enjoying the glamour of what Halston was about and it's like it it's also this a really amazing sort of cross-cultural experience because you yeah. all are just coming from like New York yes. uh, and, and there is no internet there is no Google so this so like all you can see is like the photos and what you see on television um, but now you're sitting next to each other and having this really amazing knowledge share right and also remember because like the, it, 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 at that point they were just opening so everybody wore Mao outfits we were lucky when we were the the government supplied a car for us to drive in from the actual meetings and then back to the compound. There wasn't a hotel large enough to keep us all together. So we stayed in the compound, which was beautiful, but there were guards there. It was a very elaborate co um, complex in at that time in, uh, in China. But uh, And you all had that custom outfits, obviously, to kind of roll with the bunches. That's a great point. Halston designed for each girl, there was uh, nine of us, plus three male models, uh, the, each one had their own look. You had your own little black suit, uh, which had a skirt, and then also uh, coordinating pants. You had two silk tops, dolman cut, and then you had a couple of other uh, underneath uh, 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 tops that would go with it. You had a beautiful little uh, pajama, set that you would wear for cocktails which was which he used with the uh, Chinese silk that was incredible uh, from China and then you had your cocktail dresses which were all beautifully embroidered and sheer and glamorous and sparkly by Naim Khan's family and then you had the glamorous evening dresses that were long and they were very uh, spectacular so the each girl had their own specific colors and each girl had a specifically designed uh, wardrobe uh, designed for them and their body shape. And then everything was packed up in uh, Halston ultra suede luggage. Oh, the pictures of this out, these ensembles are so amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, really are. Also, oh, oh, I forgot the the no, silk the silk uh, the silk jacket and pants. Remember that with the red of top. Course. That yes, was the one that we, we walked on the wall with because we were filmed uh, and being recorded that uh, the uh, famous wall pictures where all of us were in the group walking down in the wall. But we all had our silk uh, jacket and pants and top to go with it. Yeah. 
to be a fly on the wall while you guys just kind of strolling on the Great Wall of China in 1980. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it was very hot. China gets very, very hot in uh, that time period in August, September. It goes up to 120. So, you know, it, it's it's hot. You know, I think uh, some of the people, because we, we, every one of us, were, we never went to China before. So we were very excited by taking pictures of everybody. And then if we had Polaroids, we would give it. There was one grandfather with his little grandson. Uh, and we took the picture and then we gave it to him so he could take a look at it and keep it. But uh, it was amazing to uh, photograph all of this. And we did see a lot of the Chinese, um, you know, sites when they were, you know, un un uncovering them. Awesome. So, you know, we started talking about clothes. So I have, so I have to ask you a Halston archive question. So you've Absolutely. got, you've got, you may have got a tiny collection that I might have seen once or twice. I think <laughs> you saw it a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, what made you decide to like build this collection and just, and also archive it? Uh and because like I think if folks follow you on your Instagram, they've been seeing that you've been dropping a few pieces of here and there to give everyone a little bit of flavor of it. But I have seen the whole thing. <laughs> you sure have. You sure have. And it's like I think what happened was, uh, you know, uh, in the very beginning when uh, we did uh, collections, the the girl that the two models that were fitted for the collection. Uh, at the end of the collection could choose one or two outfits to keep from the collection for the, for themselves. And uh, my first choice was the fairy princess dress, which is in the Versailles uh, Hall of Records, uh, you know, in their website, as well as Robin Gibbons book on the cover and was called the fairy princess dresses. Uh, it disappeared. We couldn't find it. And, you know, this is not uncommon. Uh, a lot of times no one, collected uh, in the way that people think of it now because uh, they were garments that were being used and being borrowed and set up and, you know, things would disappear or go on a shoot and then something would happen. So because I couldn't get the piece that I wanted, he, Halston decided where it was like, okay, you like to collect so what you're going to do is you're going to create your own little archive and you're going to also including your mom's. And what you're going to do is that you're going to, when, when we go through the pieces, you pull it out and keep it. So that way, you know, no one else can take it in the midst of a crazy sort of editorial shooting. That one will be removed so you can preserve some of the pieces and you wear them lightly and then you donate them to the museum. What happened was that the museums at that point were not really accepting contemporary clothing. Today, they're starting to, and they realize the importance of it, but that, and that's why there's such a gap in a lot of the museums today on the looks of the 70s, because they don't have that much. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, now they're starting to regroup and realize how important and uh, that time period was, especially over creative looks and designers and everything uh, during during that time. So uh, I decided that once I started the process of it, uh, I was lucky to be guided by Harold Coda and Richard Martin, who originally started at FIT. 
And then uh, Harold and Richard were in charge of the Met, the Costume Institute. So I was advised by them, and then also another curator at FIT, in regards to taking care of my collection by photographing it. And I think you well know that, Laura, because... <laughs> The process. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> right, eight hundred pictures later, uh, the process of photographing the front, the back, the details, the uh, renting a mannequin that I could find that could have a small enough waist, because during that time period, those mannequins had tiny waist because the models had tiny waist. So that was a that was a definitely a journey uh, to be able to produce and to document the clothes because it's wonderful to have them hanging there but the process of actually preserving them with archival paper and stuffing and everything and then also uh, photographing them so that you can see the details and everything for all types of purposes Uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot, a lot of energy and also money to, to be able to commit to this process. But I did because I thought that the collection was so incredible. It had to be really recorded in, in the best way. And since I got the best advice from Harold Coda and Richard Martin and then uh, down the uh, when um, Andrew Bolton came, then um, I worked with Andrew. I've been working with Andrew as well. But it's very important to keep this history you know, preserved in the right way. Well, it's an encyclopedia of fashion. It really is. And, you know, yeah. having seen it, you know, it's just one glorious, I want every single piece. Um, but more importantly, it's a story of design that I don't think gets told. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we forget about, we look at the glitz and the glamour. We don't look at the construction and like why this was made a certain way and how no matter what your size, there was something for you. Right. And, you know, when we look at fast fashion right now and, and stuff that like you buy it on Tuesday, you wear it on Wednesday, it's in trash by Thursday. Exactly. Really beautifully well thought out made clothing for women is such a rarity today. Um, and you know, looking back on the archive, the only way you can build build for the future is to look back on what you see in the past. And so, that's why I, I think that the archive is so beautiful, and that's why it's been featured in you know in a lot of different exhibitions and and, and more to come. Yes, uh, when I did the About Time exhibition uh, with Andrew Bolton. Uh, that was obviously during COVID, so it was within this last year. It received tremendous amount of response because people saw Halston cashmeres, which they haven't seen in a long time. And it's something it shows how timeless the look was. It was next to a Tom Ford uh, because they would put two designers together with similar philosophy. And it really stood out because of the amazing cut uh, what Paulson did was he perfected his cut so well th- and that it w- it became uh, timeless. Uh, whoever put it on, he really understood how it would fall on the body and, the sh- and uh, how it related to the body because he was always I- open-minded about it. He didn't care if you were very heavy uh, or you were middle or you were skinny or you were short, or, you know, He didn't care. He found each one a challenge and he looked at it in a way, how do I learn to make this woman look beautiful? And I think a lot of his captains, you could see, can relate to so many people. One of his 
uh, muses was Pat Ask, which Pat was uh, a vendus or salesperson up at Halston for a while. And she was part of the Andy Warhol uh, crowd. Uh, and he would put these gorgeous uh, sort of loose fitting caftans on Pat and she became a celebrity in her own right. And she felt fabulous because she felt so good and pretty. And I think that, you know, you could obviously uh, take a similar look and put it on, let's say, uh, you know, any numerous uh, Farrah Fawcett or any of the, the glamour girls, Marlo Thomas and uh, Margot Hemingway, and they look incredible in it as well. But it was because Margot was very tall, you know, and then you'd have other people like Liz Taylor, who was very tiny, Liza Minnelli, tiny, you know, but he understood their body shapes because when he worked with Liza, that was probably one of the longest relationships he had. And he knew exactly what to do with Liza's, you know, needs for to be on stage as well as off stage. So cool. And this is, I mean, there's so much here. Yeah. So you've been at Halston for a while. You've been a great design director as well as a model. And then you decide that you now want to be, uh, get into the beauty business. And so you move over to Revlon. What was that like? Well, Revlon actually had acquired Halston uh, Enterprises in 86. So they had uh, taken over not only the, uh, what is called the ready to wear the uh, and, uh, and made to order, the clothing side uh, and the licensing side, they had also acquired the Halston perfume, which was iconic and classic. And uh, during that time when Halston was in negotiations, uh, the company still had to continue. So I was pretty much put in charge of the Japanese master licensee, which was about 25 licensees. And uh, my role was to work within the design team and work with our Japanese uh the licensing partners to make sure everything looked exactly like Halston. So we kept the uh, the standard up. So whenever you saw the pieces and the designs, it always adhered to Halston colors, Halston uh, archival patterns and shapes, and uh, also that it, it looked like Halston in the luxury level. Now the awesome. now the perfume is different because I worked with the perfume people in developing what was called uh, jewelry uh, for uh, that would go with the promotional jewelry and things that would go with the clothing as well as the fragrance and a lot of the fragrance ads I worked with uh, we had taken Ron, Ron Perlman had uh, made Cindy Crawford one of the, the the spokesperson for the fragrance at that point. And they did these sensational ads with Cindy, and she had to do a launch tour. So I designed her suit and her jewelry to go for the launch tour. So she looked perfectly Halston. Awesome, super. And so, so to you, to everyone's perfectly Halston, and and now you're an executive. Yes. What makes you decide to like you know take the, you know take your career to a completely different side of the universe and go it on your own? Well, I think prior to that, you know, uh, it was uh, under Revlon, uh, I co-created the Revlon license program because since I knew so much about licensing, I thought, 
hmm, you have this fabulous thing called Revlon, and uh, so much could be done for uh, to create other products under Revlon, which obviously you know their lips and their nails and their cosmetics, but uh, they're also uh, predominant in uh, hair care, but they didn't have hair dryers. So uh, when Halston uh, was sold, it, it became Halston Borghese. They wanted me to go with them, and I thought, no, I think the bigger challenge would be to take on and to see if I could, because Revlon wanted me to stay with them because they liked a woman's point of view. Because a lot of times in these cosmetic companies, there's a lot of men that are mm -hmm. overseeing this stuff, but Broad Perlman felt it was important to bring in key uh, fashion women to give it more of the edge that what Revlon would be, you know, uh, should be at that time period. And so it was very successful. Uh, I was under Ultima too, and I think that uh, it, we did the nakeds, the cosmetics under Andre Robinson. So it was a really fabulous time. But once uh, I got approval to develop the licensing, we became Revlon's licensing division. And under it, uh, we created uh, one of the top uh, hair dryer lines in what, like if you went to CVS and you went to all the mass market, you would have your shampoos in the shampoo area. But that now you would have the Revlon hair dryers, and that would be the perfect match. And we did all sorts of uh, promotions where we did, we originally started with a black with a red logo, and then I ended up doing others which had more of a, what a pearlescent. So would, we'd call it like the Rolls Royce line or the Jaguar <laughs> line. And to, because the, the, the motors in the actual hair dryers were super duper high because they were professional. So it, 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 they were like really deluxe, but it was fabulous. And we did hair bows, we did glasses, we did jewelry. We did a lot of things and we did uh, nail care and everything that actually all went under the Revlon uh, umbrella because also hairbrushes. So it was all very well coordinated and put together very well. I love how you like yeah. gloss over the fact that you basically created a multi-billion dollar division of Revlon. It was definitely a learning curve. And then once, once I started, you know, after a certain point, I, I felt that I needed to go back into fashion. And so I developed my own company, CRC Inc. And I worked with Betsy Johnson and uh, Chantel Bacon in developing what is what you knew as the Betsy Lonson, Johnson uh, licensing program. And we, I developed about 10 licensees for Betsy Johnson. One of them was the iconic Betsy Johnson bag with the studs in it. And that was amazing. It was like the it bag. Everybody had it. And if they didn't have it, they ran after you to, to find out what <laughs> to get it. <laughs> As you know, Laura, you were there. I, I, I did witness this. It was quite strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, because one of the things that like, you know, um, I often mention is that, you know, I have I, that I have two MBAs. I have the MBA I got when I went to business school at night. Right. And then I have the MBA I got working for you for three years during the day. Right. And because, you know, you were a woman business leader who had her own company who was like, you know, 
took no foolishness from anyone, no. but also knew how to be that really incredible executive. What do you think sort of helped that come to be for you? I think it was the learning and the process of learning what Halston really had put together and insisted that uh, all of the guidelines, you'll learn a great deal. You know, Halston was basically my mentor and teacher uh, on learning how to fulfill your vision. You know, and if you had a, an idea uh, that you could reach this, you know, goal, you you had to really work very, very hard, but you had to be very, very focused in understanding how you had to work with people to get to that goal. And don't assume it's going to be easy. And you have to keep going to find out all the ins and the outs and the secrets to make it super successful. But uh, he was basically the one that really sort of like uh, started me. You are, uh, most people, obviously, you have, you know, the encouragement from your parents and your family. But that's not the same thing as working with someone that innately he would love to be a mentor to, to everybody. But in my specific case, he was amazing. He, he really was just unbelievable. I'm very grateful for that. Funny, I was going to say the same thing about you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have to pass the legacy on, you know, because this, each this time it's like, you know, the formula works as long it's as you're that, open to as long as you're open to it, the formula totally does work. Exactly. You know, looking back on all the amazing things that you've done and the, the awesome um, places you've gotten to see and be a part of, what do you think you'd tell 25-year-old Chris? I think the most important thing is that, you know, because there's so many opportunities out there, especially online, they're fortunate in that way. But they also have to be aware of that, don't, that they should not be overwhelmed. They have to be very focused, and I think that they should pull from several things and only work on that and then try gradually the other things to put into your formula. Because if you do too many, if you accept too many concepts all at the same time, you might lose, you know, your, your focus point. And, you know, uh, time goes very quickly, and I think that uh, if you can sort of really stagger it and see how far you could go. The world is your oyster. It's unbelievable, especially now between cell phones and, uh, you know, the internet, it's like you're global. You're not even just, you know, in an isolated place. And a lot of times you don't even have to travel, you know, it's, it's there and you can communicate to China, you know, India, California, it's all, it's all there for you. So I think it's a great opportunity for someone that's 25, but I think also it's like keep open. Uh, if you are working with companies, learn from them because you, if there are mistakes to be made, it's not on your dollar. You can you can learn a great deal and understand how to move ahead. You're also in in the, in the space that you can see all the movement and everything. It's, it, it is disturbing how much I do quote you on a daily basis and I don't even realize it <laughs> because um, because I literally was having this conversation with someone an hour ago about like they were trying to convince me that they wanted to go work out on their own. And I was like, will you please go work for somebody? Yeah. Like learn yeah. on their dime. Like yeah. just learn yeah. on, shut up and go yeah. learn on, on their dime um, yeah. first. Um, before, you know, because, you know, the same advice you gave me where it's like, okay, 
go work for somebody else. Now you've got your MBA. Right. And right. at some point, I know you'll have your own business because oh, you saw was, something if, in me a year ago when I was a wee munchkin at 20. Right, right. You, you, you were, you were, you were, the, the potential was there. It was just exploding, but we had to sort of keep you where it was like, uh, okay, this is your potential. This is where you are. Now we've got to get it. So it matches and you understand the timing because I think, uh, one of the things is, uh, I knew Elsa Peretti very well. And when Elsa used to design, she go, the process has to be very slow, slow. And she exaggerate with the slowness to achieve the perfect, you know, uh, piece, uh, the perfect uh, piece of jewelry. But that was her goal. And I think that's where you don't have to do it overnight. It's better to really understand and enjoy the process because once you go through one process, you realize a lot of the others are very similar and you had that potential and you did. I knew where you were going to go and bravo that you have this wonderful company. But in the back of my mind, I knew even when you were just, you know, a little 20 year old, I knew the potential was in there. But you had the openness to understand that you that there were a lot of things to learn. That's a big difference. Yeah, and I think that's you know something that like now I do the same thing for other munchkins who are twenty and twenty one, where it's just like right. I can see it, but you one you got to be cool with learning learning new things, and also patience is a virtue. Absolutely. And that Rome was not built in a day, and there is no race to get everything done by the time you're thirty or thirty five no. or forty for that matter. Right. Like the journey is the good part about all of this. Um, it's also that once you start going through it. You'll be able to, uh, you know, do other things because you've gone through certain methods that, you know, work that will speed up more of the creative. Because I think when you're creative and when you have to think business, you sort of have to divide it, but then you have to put it back together, you know, and it's hard. And especially like with what you're doing, it's it's a it's all these visuals and, you know, communication and everything all together. But when when it's all together, it looks incredible. But it takes the time. And yes. it's also when you're out there, you have to be aware of what the world is now. And then uh, down the road, you might have an idea that it might go in that direction. But you also have to be flexible because, you know, things change. I mean, who would thought that COVID would have happened at this time? But it did. You exactly. Know? So that's where that flexibility in there is like very important and understanding that. And, you know, really, you know, open your your eyes, your heart, your mind to everything out there, because it could be the littlest thing that can inspire you. And you go, who would have thought, but if you're open, you've got it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so true. It's just like, you know, if the amount of things we've been able to do in the past year alone as a company um, came from being open to that. And also right. when seeing those opportunities going for it, Right. Um, I quote you repeatedly whenever I say to folks, there are no dress rehearsals, so stay no. ready. Right. <laughs> so no. That's right. I think it's also, you know, especially as a woman, you have to be very focused. You have to be very, uh, get your ducks lined up. You know, that was one of Paulston quote, because if you have your ducks lined up, 
you at least see the lay of the land. You see what to do. And if there's issues that you have to tweak, change, or totally get rid of, you're, you're prepared for it. So this is a great time for women to start to evolve, to be recognized, to uh, offer more opportunities to them than ever in, 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 in the last you know, century, let's put it this way. So it's a very exciting time, but it's also something that has to be uh, really uh, applauded in one sense, but also pay attention to it. Pay attention. If you're a woman and you feel that you have certain goals in there, you can do it. You can do it. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you, you can make this happen. Like, it's never been easier to make it happen. Like, you know, right. you guys were draping things on, on towels in uh, in Fire Island. And now I can I can do that same drawing on my iPhone using Facetune. Like, like, incredible. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's bananas. Like <laughs> you, you can do that. You, you you think that you can do. Oh, I need a picture. You have your phone and you shoot it. It's there, and then you send it off. It's like it's just amazing what can be done. Which you know, uh, especially in the modeling industry, has changed recording and doing photoshops and everything. Like it's unbelievable. As well <laughs> as movies. You know, movies will never be the same. Oh no! You can shoot the entire thing on your iPhone and call it a day. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, last question for you. Yeah. Um, well, two questions. Jessica. What do you do for your self care? Like, what do you do to put, to put Chris first? Uh, well, I think uh, the most important thing is to to because I take care of my mom. I think it's something that uh, you have to keep a, a a flexible agenda, and you have to keep everything uh, so that you can adjust and then if you have if you have to switch out from one thing to another it doesn't create stress it just creates a more sort of flexible schedule so you can continue doing everything you want to do during the day but you're not frantic and hysterical about anything words to live by by chris <laughs> and then and last whether question it's for in an office or if it's personal it does it's pretty it's the same gotta just say it also also thanks to laura Use Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I did. I made a mistake of showing you the glories of Amazon. No, that was the most incredible. Oh my goodness! You know, living out in Westchester, it's like wow. This is like it's fabulous. It's like yeah, and you were right. You will, you will always love Amazon. Yeah, (laughs) I I told you. I was like, don't worry about anything. We're right. (laughs) Fine, man. Um, and last but not least, uh, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? I'm sorry? Uh, do you have a give or an ask of the audience? So that could be anything from here's a one good piece of advice, here's a really good book I recommend, here's a movie made by Halston you should watch, whatever you want. <laughs> like, okay. uh, anything uh, you want. I think, you know, that uh, remember uh, that uh, you should always think about uh how you want to style yourself. And I think that being creative, everyone is creative on a certain level. Let the creative from inside come out. And I think that's awesome. That will that 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 covers you all the time. 
Also look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. Um, um, that's perfect and wonderful advice. Uh, Chris, I am so happy to have you on this podcast. Like I said, it's really funny that most people do not know that um, like, that was my first job. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I've talked about it, but I'm like, no, I work for a house net. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, like that was my job. I, I learned how to write a really good email because Chris, like, that's right, dictated emails to me. So, like, when I, you see the really nice emails that I write, right. I tell you to go to hell. <laughs> like, right. when it doesn't like say that. That's where I learned. Well, we um, so many people to contact all at the same time <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> You had to you had to go that way. You had to be very uh, you know, take the overall picture and, and and also take in the smaller picture. And then uh, you know, you, you create your timeline and you you got it there. You know? Yeah, you just have to do it. You just have to do it. But um, you know, I would not be the um, boss lady as I'm referred to now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, had it not been for you, and oh, you know, thank you. And, and you know, I've been working with you forever, and that you're part of my family. I'm part of your family at this point. Absolutely. That, that like it's meant the world to me um, to learn from you and, uh, I'm so honored and so thrilled to finally get you on this podcast to tell your story because it's such Same an here. awesome story. So thank you so much. Oh, thank uh, you. One of the cool things that Chris has been doing, it has been, um, giving you a little bit of a sneak peek into her archive collection of Halston. Yeah. So I will be putting in the details in the show notes so you can follow her on Instagram and she will give you a little bit of behind the, behind the curtain of the amazing Halston collection that she has. When I tell you, it is the most glorious thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it is. Um, but you'll be sure to check that out as well. But Chris, so great to have you on the show. And, uh, and you know, I adore you. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank you, my love. All the best. And that is our show.